When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up on Squats and Margaritas. I believe we all operate in three zones. We have exceptional, which is the spaces that we're like off the charts amazing. But most of us live our lives in our zone of excellence. So that's the space that we're practiced, polished, really proficient. It's usually what we've gone to school for, clocked our 10,000 hours, and we've made ourselves excellent at that thing. And most people spend their lives there. And then there's the eh space, the spaces that we're average at. And like, we literally all have these spaces. So there's no shame or shade. It's literally, there's just spaces that our brains just fundamentally weren't designed for. And it's so freeing to say over time, I'm going to release those eh things and just step into the exceptional abilities, things that I'm genius at, because that's where we can have the biggest impact on the world. Hey, senorita, really nice to meet you. Have some tequila and say, Margaritas is like the best name for podcast. Thank you. I was always calculating calories and macros. And when I just calmed the F down, I found my physical ideal. Am I addicted to moderate drinking? You're very subtly admitting powerlessness and unmanageability. And I'm proud yeah. of you. That's beautiful. Did you struggle with actual eating disorders? Anorexia and bulimia. Um, wow. Thank you for saying for me, that. Katie Couric. Nothing screws up a kid more than having a parent on top of that kid all the time. Kenya Moore. Before I take a shower, I would always step on scale. And I saw my daughter starting to do that. Like, she doesn't know how to even read the numbers, but yeah. she saw me doing it. Actress Melissa Joan Hart. I remember the first time I was told I could be a movie star if I lost weight. 10 pounds when I weighed 103. Pinky Cole. Were you high when you came up with the name? I was very high. <laughs> <laughs> this is Squats and Margaritas. This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's holistic leadership and mindset coach, Amina Altai. She teaches you to not only find your purpose, but to live in it and embody who you are called to be. Yes, ma'am. I just figured out my purpose two-ish years ago, and it's coming out of everything that I went through to inspire and empower other women to find their purpose, to share meaningful, authentic vulnerable conversations so that other women feel seen and not alone. Please do me a favor and hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode. That way you'll get an alert every time a new Squats and Margaritas drops. And please consider taking three seconds to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Here is my episode with Amina Altai. Hi, I'm so happy to be here with you. No, I am so excited to have you here. I love that you're into human design, as am I. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're going to geek out on that. I know, I completely geek out on it. I, it's it, it's so much more than what's your sign. Like, totally. yes. it gives you permission to just be who you are because it's like, that's what I am. Um, yes. I'm a generator. Love. Yes, you're a man gen? I'm a man gen. I'm a one three man gen. What about you? Oh, I forgot about that. I want to say it's a four, six. Yeah. And every single thing I had a, a human design person on and it, everything was like, you should have a nonprofit. You have something around other people's safety. And I've like saved Ooh. people. It was bone chilling, like so accurate. I want to say four, six. Yeah. That's opportunist role model. 
Okay. It's, it's it. but I, it, it was a long story and path to get to what I'm doing now. I want to start with your story. I feel like we have similar programming. Um, talk about Amina growing up. You had sort of a caretaker programming. Yes. So growing up, I was the second of five girls. And when we were young, my older sister was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and she was super sick and nobody really knew what was wrong with her for a long time. And at the same time, my parents like had another kid and just all of a sudden, our family system was really struggling and became very dysfunctional. And I just on some subconscious level, I guess, was like, I have to start to take care of other people. I have to have no needs so that I can stay safe. So I started literally looking after all my younger sisters, feeding them, uh, changing their diapers, like doing their homework with it, like all of that, being the consummate caregiver. And I later learned it's what uh, psychologists call a, call the glass child. So the glass child is someone who is the sibling of someone who is chronically ill or has disability and they uh, experience pressure to be problem-free and we're glass because it's as if our caregivers kind of look through us because they don't have capacity to also care for us too. So that really set me up for my programming that I took forward into the workplace of just being this boundaryless, deeply codependent, very much the caregiver looking after everybody else but myself. I also have three younger sisters. <laughs> I'm the oldest of four girls. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's just like what you're describing. Yes. In that specific circumstance, but also just as a woman, as, as a mom, you're not supposed to have needs. You are no. the you are last everything. Everybody else is first. And if you're not, you're selfish. Right. And I'm dealing with a lot of that now. And like the mom guilt of having a brand, uh, I go, I do speaking. Um, I have a nonprofit having two young kids and not being fully immerse with them all the time and the guilt that comes with that because that's how we're programmed as women. So you could get up to your twenties. Were you in the corporate world? Yeah. So I was bouncing between corporate America and entrepreneurship and I started my career in marketing at Cartier and I got to work on it. <laughs> I know. I know. It was a pretty, it was a pretty sweet first job. Yeah. And um, I got to work on their Women's Initiative Awards, which is this super cool initiative that, and there weren't a lot of programs like this. This is back in 2007. And they provided sort of coaching, funding, thought leadership for a lot of these uh, entrepreneurs that were women. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I want to find a way to do more of this. So I left Cartier and I co-founded an agency with someone that I'd gone to school with. And we were working with emerging female entrepreneurs, but because I didn't have a tremendous amount of self-awareness at that point because I had all of that caregiver programming. I was taking care of everyone but myself and I burned out and I developed two autoimmune diseases. And the way that it happened was very dramatic where I had gotten very sick, but I wasn't really paying attention because I was like, oh, this is like what we all do in the girl boss era. You just kind of keep moving forward and you don't pay attention. And then the thing that sent me to the doctor was my hair was falling out. And I was like, I can't be some 20 something with like a big old ball spot in the front. Like that's not, that's not how this is supposed to go. I went to a bunch of different doctors. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And then one doctor did and she called me on a Friday while I was driving to a client and she said, I'm going to, if you don't go to the hospital now, instead of going to work, you are days away from multiple organ failure. So basically I had had these undiagnosed autoimmune conditions and I'd gotten so sick that I had to choose. So you keep going the way that you're going, or do you choose another way? And obviously I chose another way, thankfully. It's stress. Like, and I love that you said the universe was whispering, but you weren't listening to it. So it manifested through your body through like yeah physical ailments. One was celiac. And then what was the other one? And Hashimoto's. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. You're like, I don't feel great, but like, 
this is what you do. Like, you're not going to take a sick day because girl. Totally. You just keep pushing through. I remember there were these like neuro beverages that were like popular back then that like supported brain function. And because I was so malnourished from being so sick, I would like pound these beverages being like, this is how I'm going to get through the day. (laughs) It was was a real warped time. (laughs) Did that lead you to your eat, pray, love year? Yes. So yeah, I call it the eat, pray, love year. So I sold my half of the business to my partner. And I decided my roommate at the time, somebody that she worked with had gone to life coaching. And as soon as she said it, I was like, Oh, something about this feels like it's for me. So I had asked her, I was like, where did she go? What'd she do? She put me in contact with this life coaching agency. And that opened so much up for me where I realized, okay, I've had a role in this. There's some stuff on my side of the street that I need to clean up. And so it just sent me on this journey of self-discovery. And then I was just passionate about all these things. I was starting to feel better. And I was, you know, getting into meditation. I was getting into nutrition. I was getting into somatic work. And then I started to study these tools because I just wanted to feel better in my own life. And then eventually it became the turning point for my career. Yes. You find the answer and then you just want everyone to have that. So exactly. you create a brand around what you found. That's exactly how Spots and Margaritas was born. I struggled for 20 years with multiple eating disorders and just over-exercising, restricting and depriving myself. Finally came into my best physical body and felt good taking care of myself, living life with balance. And I was like, it's not about restriction and deprivation. And I have to tell the women who are still doing that, that there's a different way. And that's when you find your passion. And when you're passionate about something, it's easy to make it like your career. Uh, was this pre-COVID? This is pre-COVID. So this was, so I started my agency in 2007, 2008, and then I left around 2011, 2012. And then, so my Eat, Pray, Love year was around 2012. So right before COVID, I was like traveling the country, doing a lot of speaking and corporate training and working with people one-on-one. And then all of the travel came to a halt. And so then I started working with people virtually, which was really awesome and shifted the business model. And at that time, I had the opportunity to work with, this is super interesting, a lot of women who had gotten canceled. So they were these like sort of celebrity girl bosses who then were, you know, kind of leading from a place of pain in a lot of ways. And then, you know, there were places where they couldn't see themselves. And so there were some missteps and then the world had a lot to say about it. So then I ended up coaching these women and then it, it became the foundation. The work that we did together became the foundation for my book, which is coming out next year, which is called The Ambition Trap. So, but during COVID, because I was at home, I got toxic mold exposure, which happened to a lot of people because we were in our houses more. People were like more inside, I guess. So I all of a sudden got sick again. And it was honestly, I think worse than the first time. I literally felt like I was dying on my feet. And um, I went to, again, a couple of different doctors. And then finally one saw me and was like, she's like, I think you have toxic mold. What were the symptoms of that where she thought you had like, what, what happened? The symptoms are so weird that they don't make sense together. So you like you really need someone that's like into environmental medicine and just so finely attuned and trained that they can see it. But my symptoms were, again, hair loss, brain fog. I had a tremendous amount of pain and pressure in my head. I had this like electric shock feeling at the back of my head. Mm-hmm. I became allergic to like every food and had hives. It's like none of the symptoms make sense together. And you kind of feel like you're like, is this real? Like what is happening? Um, and then... Yeah. She saw me and was like, I'll stop at nothing to get you well. And then she did. And it was amazing. And look at you now. I want to talk about your coaching. Um, There are three levels that you coach in, three levels that you consider. And you look at where someone is eh, excellent, 
and exceptional. And I wanted to talk about those three uh, zones. And then obviously, we're going to dive into exceptional. (laughs) Yeah. So I believe we all operate in three zones. We have exceptional, which is the spaces that we're like off the charts amazing. Every single human in the world has a space where they're off the charts amazing. But most of us are trained to believe that like exceptional abilities and genius is for the select few. But that's not true. We literally all have something. And there's a big reclamation that happens when when we step into that and we own those things. But most of us live our lives in our zone of excellence. So that's the space that we're practiced, polished, really proficient. It's usually what we've gone to school for, clocked our 10,000 hours, and we've made ourselves excellent at that thing. And most people spend their lives there. And then there's the eh, space, the spaces that we're average at. And like, we literally all have these spaces. So there's no shame or shade. It's literally, there's just spaces that our brains just fundamentally weren't designed for. And it's so freeing to say over time, I'm going to release those eh things and just step into the exceptional abilities, things that I'm genius at, because that's where we can have the biggest impact on the world. That's where we can have the biggest contribution. And it's the easiest zone like to stay in because you're kind of in flow. It's less energy to be in there because it's just like how you were programmed. And it's funny, your exceptional ability is to find the exceptional ability in other people, like to talk to them and be like, this is where you should be. And once you find what you're exceptional at, then you just embody that and build your work around the exceptional. Yeah. And that's really where the magic suddenly is. Exactly what you said. You find yourself in the space of flow. You don't have to effort, push or force. It just comes through you. But here's the thing. It feels really scary for a lot of people because like we know our excellent zone. We know we can make money there. People like us there because they usually get a payoff from us staying there. The exceptional zone is scary because it asks us to be all of ourselves all the time. And that's a really big ask. And this might be a weird question, but like, do you find that the exceptional traits come from what you're excellent at? Like, or is it usually something that's not even associated with how you, you say you live in the excellence, like what you went to school for. Do you find that people are exceptional as something that's not even related? Yeah. So they might have really excellent technical skills. Let's say, you know, a graphic designer, for example, has really amazing, like they probably have excellent skills in terms of design and the programs that they use, but their exceptional abilities might be holding space for people, having a compassionate conversation, seeing people's gifts. Sometimes they're related and a lot of the times they're not. How do you analyze someone? Like you just interview them? I ask them a series of questions. Also, most of the time we actually know, right? Like this is kind of my perspective is like, we all really have our own answers. We usually just need a mirror outside of ourselves to ask us the question and to kind of reflect certain things back to us. But if I were to ask you, what do you have the potential to be the best in the world at? What would you say? I feel like I have a way of delivering a message uh, that hits for women because I am extremely authentic and vulnerable. And I will say the things that make other people feel comfortable with me and will receive a message from me because I'm not a PhD. I don't have any letters and I'm just being real. So people let their guard down and kind of hear me. Yeah. Um, I guess delivery of message is my... (laughs) Yeah. Yes. When I first got on with you, my thought was sharing compassionately. Like that felt like part of your Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And the thing is like what I'm finding, it's something completely different. I was, I think everyone is scared of public speaking when they are coming up. But like, I had no confidence and I had no self-worth for 15-ish years. And so never in a million years would I see myself on a stage and empowering women and inspiring women. It's so different. I I would have never even considered it because I had no self-worth. And that is where I find like I can 
ad lib or I can, I just feel comfortable on a stage and I want to be on a stage and talk to women that, especially like moms that feel like it's not about them anymore. Like we we're starting out yeah. this conversation with and like, you know, it's not vain to like have something for you and that you matter too. And you can't pour from an empty cup. I just want other women to find this. And I want to be on stage and sharing this. And it's so far off from anything I would ever consider for myself before. So I went to school for marketing and I, I do enjoy that and creating that part of the brand. But I think my exceptional is when I'm on a stage or on a podcast and can just, I do feel in flow. Like, I'm like, I don't even know what I just said. And I'll watch it back. <laughs> like, yes. that, was, that was great. But yes. this is very new. I'm going to like, I found it at like 40. It's beautiful. And I think there's also something transmitted through your voice. Like even the quality of tone of your voice is like a salve. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's kind of going into what I want to talk about next, like the levels of becoming. I've yeah. definitely stepped into, I guess, leveled up. How do we know? when we have leveled up or we've reached another level or do coach people through kind of up-leveling and like not being in the zone that they're excellent in. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now back to Squats and Margaritas. So most people come to me when they're at a pivot point and they're feeling a lot of discomfort externally or internally. So maybe their career feels misaligned and they feel like, okay, I'm working in this place and I don't feel really seen. I know I can do more. Uh, maybe they're thinking about starting their own business, but oftentimes they feel burned out and bummed out, frustrated, unseen. Maybe there's physical illness or emotional illness as well because they've been unexpressed. Because oftentimes when we bury ourselves, right, it kind of... Uh, uh, and I think this is part of my story. When we bury parts of ourselves, it erupts in other ways. And oftentimes it looks like illness. And so usually they're rumbling with some kind of distress. And then the work together is how do we invite you to that next level so you can express more of yourself so you're not bottling in that frustration, that stress, that sickness. And we're always becoming, that's the whole point of life. Like I really believe that the journey of life is simply for us to unfold and keep unfolding. We never arrive. And I think so many of us high achievers are like, where's the finish line? When will I get there? And there isn't one. There's yeah. not like a single mountain that we're all on together and we're not racing to the summit. We're all on our own personal karmic mountains and we're all just continuing to unfold if we'll be in conversation with ourselves that way. It's very interesting that we should always be up leveling and becoming. What if someone has stopped doing that? And what if you're married to that person? <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. I want to answer this in two ways. I don't want to mislead people by thinking that we always have to be moving forward and upward because I think that feels a little toxic sometimes of like, next level, next level, next level. And it keeps us on a treadmill. I do it too much. I, I do it to a fault. So I completely agree with you. 
okay. been that person too. So in my book, I talk about this of like ambition that that, that is that line that only goes up, I think isn't real and it harms us. Our ambition and, and our up-leveling goes in cycles. I think it's like a perennial flower where it's like you drop a seed in the ground. We take care of the inner and outer environment. So then it flowers and it has this moment in the sun. But guess what? The seasons change and the petals fall off and it winds down and it goes back underground. And we need time underground to take care of ourselves so we can come up and flower again. And so I just want to underscore that I think that our ambition and our growth really goes in cycles. But when people around us have hit their ceiling and they're not doing anything about it, that can be a lot for us, right? Especially go-getters, but actually we can't save anybody from their lessons, right? It's actually a nervous system state that has us want that other person to change, right? It's kind of a fight or flight response. It's like, come on, fight, grow with me. We have to let people unfold at the pace that they want to unfold at. And usually their discomfort will get so bad that they will eventually want to unfold or they'll be inspired by their partner's growth, for example. Most people don't want to be left behind because as humans, we're pack animals. So we see our partner grow and we're like, oh, I'd like some of that growth too. So... What, what if it's the opposite and it's like triggering to them your growth? I have found like immense purpose. I'm, I know I'm living in alignment why, with why I'm on this earth. That does not jive with the person that my husband married. And I will give him that. But I have, I'm not going to change. I have finally found this version of me and it no longer fits. And as I elevate... It just pushes him further away. There's no like, oh, I want to do that. He has no desire in that. We've been together for 18 years, but it has caused so much friction. And I know that if I were not to live the way that I am now, I would resent him. Mm-hmm. So it's not even an option. But And I've seen him try to be accepting and supportive. And it's just not me becoming a, like a new version of myself or evolving into the person that I know that I am. has not serve my marriage well. And it does not look like we're going to make it. I guess I was gonna ask you to like coaching. Do people want like clarity, like that this is right? Like, Mm -hmm. I see that this is no longer a match. But then I'm like, I don't really know. Like, how do you know, if the decisions that you're making and up leveling to the new version of yourself or the highest level of yourself is the right path? First of all, thank you so much for sharing this with me and all of us. I've been exactly where you are. I moved out. I like, I've, I've had a very similar situation where I had grown so much and then it caused a fracture and then the other person didn't want to come on the journey. And so I've, I've been where you are and it's deeply painful because to what you said earlier, right? So many mothers and women are taught, prioritize other people's needs, put yourself last. But what you did is you prioritized your growth. And it's so easy to say, oh, like, I'll just shut my growth down so I can stay in this relationship, right? That's what a lot of people do. And you didn't and haven't done that. And I think it's so beautiful and commendable because what you asked about, how do we know if it's right? If you're honoring your inner knowing, it is right. If you are honoring your truth, it is right. If you deny your truth and you quash your growth to be with somebody else, that's not alignment, right? And so you shifting and and you never know what's going to unfold, right? You never know if you, you know, like separate and it's official and all the things, you know, there could potentially be a turning point. But what I hear in him is either self-sabotage or not looking yet at what is next, because there's always something that is next. Yes. And I do know, I know that this is right. And then sometimes you, you understand this, but some people are probably like, whatever, like it's a little bit, uh, what's the word? Uh, esoteric. Yes. Yeah. There is a blue butterfly 
that comes to my uh, front door and does not fly away. And it comes at times where I will be praying for guidance, like universe. I don't know if this is right. I learned, I uh, named my nonprofit for teen girls, blue butterfly That is what I get. And every single time I'm questioning it, I will ask, I won't ask for a blue butterfly, but I'll be like, I just give me a sign that this is right. It's either literally in the physical, a blue butterfly comes to my door. I have hours of footage of this butterfly. Or once um, I was staying at a cabin at Easter. It was like nine different rooms in this cabin. I'm going through something we had just separated. Um, and I open the door to the first room and there are blue butterflies all over the wall. This isn't even the, the craziest one. The craziest one, I was getting a lot of pushback from someone about leaving to speak at a, a conference when it was during the school week and we have children. And it was like, no, you're, you should be home with the kids during the week. And he was getting in my head. And I was just like, I went. Atlanta airport is the biggest airport in the world. I could have been five minutes late in traffic. I could have stopped to tie my shoe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many variables. Gone to the bathroom and other people come in front of me. I go through the security. You can go right or left. Guy, go right. Amna, I already have goosebumps. I didn't even say it. The bin that I went to put my shoes in had a blue butterfly sticker in the bin. What? I, my full body. Yeah, I, I, I took make this up. The guy's like, are you okay? I was like, no, I'm not okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not okay. And then I was like, I am doing, and now I don't even need, I see it all the time, but I don't even need it. But during the times where I'm like, how in the world? I could have gone left. I could have. Totally. It was insane. And it happens all the time. So I'm saying, I know it's not me like questioning. It was for a while. It's not. I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. I went through my bulimia, my depression, and all the things to come out on the other side and show women that you can come out of it and you can find purpose. And you're not just a mom and I'm so passionate about it. And I know that's why I went through it. But like you said, we don't know what's going to unfold. It wasn't like I was like, tell him I'm going to be a stay at home mom. And then I'm going to flip the switch. I had no idea. And I shared my story and it became something. And this is what I'm going to do. And I guess like some people are there for certain parts and maybe it was to have our children and to get me to this point of growth. And now he doesn't come along for the next part of it. I think it's so incredible that you're honoring your truth. You're honoring your knowing, because I also think like as a mother too, your kids get to see you empowered, happy, free, decisive, doing the work that you're called to do. And I think that's the best role model and example we could ever set for a generation to come. Thank you. It's it's so hard, like balancing all the things like being a mom and like putting all of myself into this. But I try to balance it all um, where you and I don't align because I build a brand around balance is that you say balance is a myth. Um, maybe that's why I can't achieve it. The idea of balance to me implies stasis, static, right? Like in my mind, when I think of balance, I think of the the Libra scales where it's perfectly balanced on both sides. I think the reality of that is really rare. So like what I, the, the words that I like to use instead of balance is agility, right? Because it's never going to be perfectly 50-50. So, okay, on a Tuesday, I'm going to shift over here and be agile around this. And then, okay, I need to spend more time with my kids. So I'm going to be agile around this. So I think it requires agility versus that perfect static balance. Because I think with balance, the mindset it gets us into is it has to be equally portioned and it's never going to be that way. So can we be agile with it instead? And it brings a lot more movement and fluidity to the conversation. I love that. Yes. And you can't give a hundred to both. So it's always just going to be a portion of it. But I think just making a conscious effort that you know, you weren't all the way here. So Tuesday you will be just having knowledge of it and 
it's someone also told me if you're worried about not showing up enough as a mom, then you're already a good mom because a good mom wouldn't even think about it. Exactly. You have awareness. <laughs> I do have that. Uh, another wellness myth is that we feel like we don't have enough time yeah. and we have a scarcity mindset and you contributed to a beautiful article about that. Can you share it? Yeah. So I, I will say, I feel like that article, it was from 2017. It was a little clickbaity, right? <laughs> Saying that like having no time is a wellness myth. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Guys, I have found the magic. And who would I be to not share that magic with you, my loyal Squats and Margaritas listeners, if you are looking for a little extra something? Maybe you're going out with the girls tonight. Maybe you have a date with your husband. Maybe you have a big work event. Maybe you just want to look bomb while you're out on your daily walk. You need Rejuvalift. Rejuvalift is a tightening clay that you just tap wherever you need it. Forehead, those little 11s between your eyebrows. I use it on the bags under my eyes, my crow's feet. You tap it wherever you need it. You let it sit in four minutes and the results last for up to seven hours. Make Rejuvalift the first step in your beauty routine. Even before you put on makeup, I have tried it. I am obsessed. It is magic. And now Squats and Margaritas listeners can get 20% off at rejuvaliftbeauty.com using code margaritas. That's R-E-J-U-V-A-L-I-F-T-beauty.com and use promo code margaritas. 20% off, free shipping. You're welcome. Now back to squats and margaritas. We tell ourselves a lot of stories. And I really want to acknowledge that like there are so many people that don't have a ton of time, right? There's a lot of single moms in the world that are working multiple jobs, trying to make ends meet, people that are just doing a lot of giving and maybe they don't have that much time. But the essence of that work in that article was if we set boundaries, if we have our mindset right, if we're taking good care of ourselves, even five minutes a day will make a difference for us. Five minutes that we carve out to meditate, to breathe, to do a, a walk for ourselves, to do you know, five minutes of squats, whatever it is, we can usually find even the smallest pocket to be able to prioritize ourselves and take care of ourselves. But as a high achiever, that downtime feels like we're not being vigilant. I'm hyper vigilant. I'm very efficient. I loathe inefficiency. Like to the point I'm going to, if I go on a walk, either my dishwasher or my washing machine has to be running. So I know something else is happening. And if I take the five minutes, I know we have to pace and replenish ourselves. But do you have any strategies for a high achieving, hyper vigilant mom that feels like taking that time is very like counterproductive to her day? (laughs) Yeah. So I think this is like some nervous system work, right? So our nervous system is scanning our environment all the time looking for threats. So it can act accordingly, right? So back in the day, if we were like hunter gatherers getting berries and we saw a lion on the prairie, our bodies would be like, oh, lion danger, release, you know, cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine, so we can run and get out of here. But nowadays, you know, getting an email, a call from our kids' school, all of that activates our nervous system and keeps us on high alert. And the thing about staying in high alert is it actually impacts our ability to think really clearly and creatively to basically find solutions that will help us get out through. From a physiological standpoint, it even changes our vision. It it narrows our vision to give us tunnel vision so we can actually get out of an unsafe situation. And so if we stay in that state, our vision remains narrowed, our physiology changes, and we don't access that higher level thinking. So it's super important that we 
get our bodies as much as we can into a dominantly parasympathetic or rest and digest state. So I think it's actually wonderful that you're multitasking, right? Like, yeah, you probably need to run the dishwasher while you go for a walk because you have a lot of kids and like you need clean plates. I do. It's to my detriment. Like I can't walk if it's not going. So I also feel like debilitating. (laughs) Right. So, and your nervous system feels dependent on having this thing done super efficiently and super well. Otherwise it feels at some level, it sounds like unsafe, not okay. And so there are somatic practices that we can do to help us feel a little safer in those moments. So a a practice that I like to do is this. Think about the thing that that charges you or gives you like the icks. So it's like the idea of not running the dishwasher while you go for a walk. Uh, (laughs) Going to bed with a uh, sink full of dishes. Like not doing that. I won't say. (laughs) What is it? Where, what do you feel in your body and where do you feel it? Anxiety, chest. Okay, great. My shoulders. Great. (laughs) So we can do a simple mindfulness practice for two minutes that will shift your shoulders. So you can do, it's a simple visualization. So can you, do you know where your collarbone is? Like, can you visualize it? Got it. And then just draw a line from the inner edge of the collarbone to the outer part of the shoulder, just in your mind's eye, just visualizing a line going back and forth. And we just do that for two minutes. Mm. And two minutes alone is often enough to feel a shift in the body. So when our bodies are in fight or flight, it shifts our physiology, right? So sometimes like our shoulders will come forward uh, or upward. Uh, Sometimes people's shoulders will rotate backward, like as if they're ready to run, like a flight response. Sometimes we'll freeze. So notice what's happening in your body. Bring awareness to a certain location where you're feeling it. And then just that visualization can bring you into the present moment and remind your body that it's safe so that it can downgrade into that rest and digest state. And from there, when you think about the dishes, it's less triggering or activating for us. And it's a practice that we do over and over again until that idea isn't the same trigger for us. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I am such a perfectionist. First of all, is perfectionism learned or are you born that way? Just, are you just like wired to be like, everything has to be a certain way and talk about how it's an archetype of imposter syndrome. Yeah. You really do such great research. I <laughs> the dishwasher was running while I was researching. Just kidding. It. it probably was. <laughs> I call myself a reformed perfectionist as well. So I really see you. I get it. And perfectionism, I believe, is learned. It happens a lot of the time in the family system. If we feel like we things are out of control and we need to control and have a perfect outcome to feel safe, then that's usually what we'll perpetuate. And then sometimes those of us that don't feel like we're good enough can also feel like we have to show up at 100, be perfect to be safe and lovable. So it is, um, according to Dr. Valerie Valerie Young's work, um, an archetype of imposter syndrome. So we feel like we have to be perfect. Otherwise, what's the point of doing it? But the challenge with that is, is then we wait till it's perfect and then perfect isn't real. And so we never get the thing out in the world. And so I really invite people to be okay with the 80% and go out with the 80% and be with the discomfort of that and see if we can also shift the discomfort. And you're not going to be perfect. Another thing I got from you that was so beautiful. Um, you talk about dropping the ball versus. Yeah. I prefer to say like, put the ball down versus drop the ball because drop the ball seems unconscious. Like, Oh, I was just carrying so many things. I dropped it. But choosing to consciously place a ball down saying, actually, I've taken on too much. I'm going to place this ball down is a conscious choice. And I think that's much more powerful. I love that. Yes. I wrote that down. Um, I realize I'm a soloist. Um, I can't ask for help or if someone helped me, then I'm less worthy because I needed the help. And this was another downfall in my marriage. Like I will not ask for help because I had so much noise that like 
you're working and you're a mom, you're not home with the kids. So I could not let any balls drop. Um, I had to make sure everything was still happening the same way at home while taking on my job, because I had to show him that uh, nothing's going to drop. Mm-hmm. And I would not ask for help because then it was like, see, you're, you need help. Now you can't be a mom. So I don't ask for help. And if I did, like, I know that I validate myself by how many things I accomplished during the day. And when I go to bed at night, I'd be like, well, I didn't really cook dinner because somebody else did or somebody else cleaned my house. And I'm a soloist. <laughs> like, yeah. I asked for help. I am less worthy. Totally. So for those listening, so in Dr. Valerie Young's work, there's five archetypes. The soloist is also another archetype where we feel like we have to do everything ourselves in order to be valuable and worthy. And that's a lot of us, right? We're taught like, hey, if you haven't accomplished it yourself or you need somebody else doing it, it's not real. But that's actually not the truth, right? Most people, like as humans, we're interdependent. We're pack animals. And so most of us are surviving and thriving because we have community that's supporting us. But it takes some unwiring and relearning to feel safe to be supported because it's very vulnerable to receive, right? It's like giving is easy for those of us that are trained that way, but then to soften and receive and let people help us is a different story. Yes. This is bringing me into relationships. And then I promise I will stop talking and let you No, please go wherever you feel called. Codependency. Yeah. I always thought until I had a relationship coach on meant we needed each other. Like Mm -hmm. I need him and he needed me, but I've been told that it's when you try to like change someone and make them what you want them to be. First, what is your definition of codependency? So I know that I'm even like talking about it correctly. Yeah, thank you. And I think there's so many definitions. The way that I think about it is when we're enmeshed in a relationship and we're outsourcing our worthiness to somebody else. So we're in a dynamic where we're not standing on our own and we feel like we have to show up in a particular way with that person in order to be safe and lovable and vice versa. So sometimes we try to save them, to change them. There's a lot of drama in there, uh, you know, a lot of people pleasing. And so it can manifest in lots of different behaviors but I think the root of it is not feeling worthy enough in ourselves and being able to stand alone and outsourcing our worthiness to the other person. When you feel unseen and unheard, you seek success from outside yourself and you align yourself with others or other things for validation. And I think that's what I did. Um, Like I said, he was in the NFL and he was in the prime of his career and I had no self-worth. If I'm with him and he's shiny, then I'm shiny and I'm worthy. But yeah. that was when I was 24. And now I'm like, I found worth. So maybe he feels like I don't need him anymore. And I don't yes. need him for validation. And when you're saying you just, you want to change them and you're like, you want do this. Like, I'm like, have some aspirations or like, you should be doing so much more because I am. And that's not what he wants. So I'm being codependent, trying to pull him back to the world and not just be not living. I feel like he's existing and not living. He's just, and I'm trying to like pull him back and like get the light back on, but that's codependency. I'm trying to make him what he doesn't even want to be. And at one point, like you said, they have to do it. You can't make someone else we can't save anybody from their lessons. We get our lessons when we get them. It's like, you know, why you went through everything that you went through with eating disorders and why I went through everything I went through with health. It's like, we got the lessons when we got them. 
Um, I also have compassion, for, so much compassion for you. And also I have so much compassion for people that are like really exceptional at something. And then that thing ends because for a lot of people, it feels like an existential crisis. And then it's like, well, what's next? Yes. And I think it takes a lot of soul stretching and excavation to, and tenderness and vulnerability to be like something else could be next because people have only envisioned their life in one way. Like I have a friend who uh, was a ballerina and like, there's a shelf life for how long you you can be in that career. And so much of her identity was built around that. And when it ended, the big question was, well, if I'm not doing that, who am I? And you you have to be ready to answer that question. And not everybody is. I understand what's happening. It's sad. He's the best person I've ever met. And whoever gets him next is going to get the best man I've ever met, but I cannot watch this anymore. And I think me being a high achieving person, it's such a turnoff to see someone that is just has no aspirations to ever do anything again and yeah. is triggered by me yeah. doing things. It's like, it's not, it's, it's just going to keep getting worse. Cause I, I want to keep growing. It honestly sounds like a reaction to you, right? Because when he's saying yes. I'm fine, like we know when people are not in their truth, right? So if he's not being truthful with himself, he's absolutely never going to be truthful with you, but it sounds like it's a reaction to your growth of like the digging the heels yes. and like, I don't need to grow. Right. But he's got to be honest with himself about actually, this isn't fine. And this isn't what I want. I can't pull him out. I can't, I don't know. And it's like, am I giving up on my husband who is in this time, but will not admit it. And I can't, there's so much, I'm right in the middle of it. We're not even divorced. So I, it's a draw, (laughs) but like, I had a, I had a spiritual teacher at the time that I was navigating something similar said to me, like when we try to make people change in the, the image that we want of them, we violate their rights. Right. So it's like, it's on him to decide how he wants to unfold. And when we try to force it, it's, it's a violation. And that was so helpful for me to hear. I was like, oh my gosh, it's so true. Like I can't make somebody be something that I want, right. They get to be who they are. That's their birthright. And I'm violating it by forcing this on them. But at the same time you've grown, right you've taken these actions, your life has shifted and you have all this new information. And if this does not line up, it's simply square peg round hole. Nobody's wrong. Nobody's at fault. It's just literally square peg round hole at this point. It's square peg round hole. It's just not a match anymore. And I find myself like dulling myself down or if I get a big opportunity, I don't tell him because he's not going to be excited. And I, you say like, own your bigness, like be excited and step into it. Yes. But we don't do that. And women don't do that because then you seem cocky and you're like putting it in someone's face. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Now back to squats and margaritas. You know what? Like kind of my ethos right now is so many of us live a fine life. I think we incarnated for much more, right? And what you're talking about is like euphoria. We get to live a euphoric life. And when we water ourselves down to make somebody else feel comfortable, that's some of the codependency, right? And like, why dull your shine? This is what you came here for. And the more you shine, the more you give others permission to shine, the more healing you spread in the world. Like we need you to shine. We need you to live euphorically. Yes. And when you say to what serves you will always serve the other person. I wholeheartedly believe that what is best for me is always best for the other person as discomfort, like as much discomfort as that brings up, it is always the truth. What is best for you is best for me. It's kind of like happy wife, happy life. If the, if your spouse is mad, you're not going to be happy. What's best for them. And their happy is going to reflect over to you because you're in a relationship with them. But what's best for me is not serving him. What's best for you is honoring your truth, right? That's so clear. 
right? And when you're honoring your truth, you're happy, you're serving, your kids are happy. And so in theory, it is actually- In the big picture, not just in our relationship. It's what's best for me is best for all and for- humanity. Not, and you know. and I actually think it is better for him, right? Because net net, if you were watering yourself down, if you were keeping yourself down and you were living below the resentment line, as I like to call it, and we're really disgruntled, it's going to show up in some way and he will suffer. Yeah. And then we'll resent him and like, it won't be a happy marriage. Right. And so it actually is what's best for you is best for him. Even if it feels a little wonky sometimes feels a lot wonky sometimes just having healthy boundaries you say boundaries are the distance at where i can love you and me at the same time and exactly. you have not <laughs> hopefully other people in relationships can strive to find that because it's so beautiful it's the distance at where i can love you and me at the same time find that like happy yeah. spot um i i think i want to end it with another the way that you look at things it's like what I'm dealing with in my marriage, or maybe somebody's like sitting at a job listening to this, like, I don't know, you say, do I want to spend my heartbeats there? Yeah. And that's the end. Like, why are you spending your heartbeats yeah. that you're given on anything less? I mean, I guess some people with jobs, like you can't just quit your job or can you? It's like, do I want to spend my, look at your day and look at your life mm-hmm. and the relationships that you're in. And do you want to spend your heartbeats there? Exactly. And we get 525,600 minutes a year, right? Do you want to spend them in a place that does not see you, where you don't feel like you can contribute the most, where you can't be your fullest self? And it's not always easy to change, but just give yourself the opportunity, the opening. Allow yourself to take a single step towards something that could feel more life-giving because everybody deserves that. I think so many of us have gotten used to feeling fine, but we deserve that euphoric life. We deserve the best of everything. So, so good. You are a light. You are fabulous. If anybody wants more, where can they find you? And I feel the same about you. I literally feel like I just met like a best friend here. And so I'm so grateful for your vulnerability and everything. This was a delightful conversation. You all can learn more about me on Instagram at Amina Altai and my website with the same spelling, AminaAltai.com. Spelling will be in the show notes, I'm sure. Um, But please reach out, uh, DM me on Insta. If you want to learn more about my programs, it'd be an honor to hear from you all. On January 31st, we're doing the great reevaluation workshop. So anybody that is reevaluating right now, I feel like because of the pandemic and everything happening in the world, so many of us are feeling topsy-turvy. And it's like, what happened over the last couple of years? And we find ourselves in that place of fine. So if you want to break out of fine and get unstuck and, and tap into the euphoria, come join us in the workshop. It's totally free. It's going to be a hoot. I hope to see you there. This was a delight. I truly is like, you are so good at what you do. This is clearly your genius. Thank you for having me here. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas.